Amen. How y'all doing this morning? Looks good. You look good. See some new faces. See some folks I hadn't seen in a while. Um, we are getting towards the end of our five-week series on the book of James. James is believed to have been the earliest book written in the New Testament. James was the half-brother of Jesus and the pastor, elder leader of the church in Jerusalem. And there's five major themes in this book. We've been picking one each week. The first week, we talked about not wasting our suffering that God can use our suffering, and we need to learn to take joy in it, which is a big ask. But James points out that joy leads to perseverance, and perseverance leads to wisdom. And wisdom teaches us not to put our faith in things that are temporary, and that this life and pain itself is temporary, and that we can turn to Jesus and allow him to use our pain to build his kingdom. So that was week one. Week two, I made up a rhyme. I didn't mean for it to rhyme. It just worked out that way. We said, if you don't do what you know you should, it won't do you any good. And James encourages us to be a doer of the word that we're reading. It's not enough just to know the Bible, just to hear the Bible. It's not enough to know what you're supposed to do. If you don't go do it, it doesn't matter. It's a faith of action, and that's what James talks about, and we hit that on week two. Last week, James tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And in chapter three, James compares the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, or a spark that it's a very small thing with unlimited potential for both good or bad, just like our tongue, there's huge potential. And that our tongue cannot be tamed, it can only be guarded. And so that's where we've been the last three weeks. All those messages are on Spotify and iTunes if you want to go back and catch up. But this week, we're back in chapter one for our next major theme from the book of James. And I think you'll pick up on it pretty quick. It's all the word, the word that is highlighted multiple times in this first verse. James 1, starting in verse 13, says, When tempted, tempted. No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Verse 15 says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Verse 16, James tells us, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. So in just five verses, that's all it took James to do this, he gives us an incredible overview of this idea of temptation. Everybody in here is an expert on that one, right? You all know what temptation is. I'm not going to tell you much that you, you, don't, you understand how it works. We're all experts on the topic. And my goal this morning, although it's a hard goal when you're talking about sin and temptation, my goal is to be encouraging this morning. Um, Satan would love to kind of pull me out, right? He'd like to take me out. I feel like I got a big bullseye on my eye, uh, on my back, and he has in the past. He is currently, and I'm certain will continue in the future to try to take me out. But y'all have a bullseye on you too. The devil is real and active, and I'm convinced of that because you can't look at this world and tell me that evil doesn't exist. And at this point. There's some agendas being pushed worldwide, especially within our nation, that are too big for one person or even a group of people. It's not a human-coordinated effort. There is a force behind that that is trying to drive humanity in the wrong direction. And I believe that Satan is studying you. I think he wants to know your weaknesses and your tendencies, and so he can have just the right time to tempt you with something that's going to get you. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that, that Satan can read our mind, but he doesn't really have to, right? He's been watching, you know, human civilizations for thousands of years. He knows what gets us. We, we're, we're all 
apt to kind of take the same bait if we're not careful. But since Satan is studying us, this morning we're going to study his game plan. And as we look at temptation, I want us to have our own game plan against it. And the first thing you need to understand, and I hope that there's some freedom here this morning from this, is that temptation is inevitable. James tells us right off the bat, when tempted, it's a certainty. It's not if. It's not if it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're all going to be tempted. And you need to know, and maybe nobody's ever told you this, that temptation in and of itself is not a sin. The thing is, I know I often feel guilty or shameful about something that in the moment is tempting, something that sounds good that I know isn't, and I am I feel guilty about the fact that in a moment that, that that looked like something I might want, even though I know it's not something I need. I think a lot of you are struggling with temptation to the point where it's kind of causing you to date your, or doubt your relationship with Jesus. It's causing you to doubt your salvation. And I think you're looking at it all wrong. I think you need to look at your struggle with temptation and sin as proof of your salvation. Because without God, you wouldn't be struggling at all, right? You'd just be jumping headlong right on into it. And so the fact that you are now wrestling with something in your life that used to completely take you out every time it shows up, I believe you should take that as a sign that God is doing something great in your life. And if you don't understand the concept of struggling well, that's a big one. And you need to recognize if you're doing that. And struggling well is just the ability to fight and win against temptation. And you might have to same, fight the same fight tomorrow, and you might not win every time, but you're willing to keep getting back up and keep fighting, and that is a sign that God is doing a work in your life. And on the other side of that, if you haven't had a head-on collision with the devil in a while, it might be because you're heading in the same direction. If you're not dodging arrows, it's because you might not be in the fight. But temptation is not a sin, right, in and of itself. Jesus was tempted, and he was sinless. Hebrews 4.15 tells us all about it. He says, we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus faced every temptation. You, you may or may not have heard this story. It's in Luke 4 when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by the devil after a 40-day fast. So he's at his weakness. He's at his weakest and at his hungriest. And the devil comes to him and says, I know you're real hungry. And that's not a sin, right? That's not a sin. You should turn those stones into bread. And, and that was a category of sin called the lust of the flesh. And, and Jesus had to sit through that. Then Satan comes to him and says, you can be ruler of all the worldly kingdoms. That's lust of power. That's going to show up in our lives. We all want to be powerful. Then he says, hey, why don't you throw yourself off this cliff and have the angels come save you? You know they will. That's, that's the sin of pride, and that swells up in all of us. But don't let temptation cause you to doubt who you are in Christ. I, I want to reassure you, if you're struggling well right now, that's a good sign that God's doing something in your life. Because temptation itself is not a sin. It's, it's just going to happen. The second thing we got to recognize about temptation is we can't blame God for it. Verse 13, James says, When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God's not going to be the one tempting you. Now, God will allow you to be in a difficult situation. Because that's going to make you better. In fact, that's the only way you're going to get better. We, we know this. If you're a coach, you know this. My kids are in jiu-jitsu. I talk about it probably too much. But my obsession right now is to find other kids their age that are better than them. 
because my kids aren't going to get any better if they're not going against kids that are better than them. My daughter's in gymnastics. Every week we pay a coach to try to get her to do something that she can't really do by herself yet, right? She has to be stretched. She has to be put in a difficult circumstance or she's not going to grow. The same is true about God. In Deuteronomy 8, there's this great story of the Israelites, and it actually says that God gave them over to hard times to make them better. So God will put you in a difficult spot, but God's not going to be that voice in your head trying to convince you to disobey him. That, that's not going to be God. It's not going to be that voice in your head trying to get you to justify your behavior or whatever you've done. That, that's not God. He might have put, He might have allowed you to be in that situation, but he's not going to be that voice in your head trying to convince you to do the wrong thing. And so we have to learn to make a clean break between God and temptation because they're never going to be on the same team. There's a lot of things that God's just not a part of, right? The, there's big ones, obviously, cheating on your spouse, murdering cold blood. Obviously, God's not in on that. But those are the big ones. How about the other ones? A conversation that somewhere in the middle of the conversation, it turns to gossip. Well, God's not in that either. And those little white lies that don't really matter all that much. Maybe we tell a lie when it's easier to tell the truth, but we just want to tell that little white lie. Well, God's not in that either. Or maybe it's jealousy and bitterness, and that's not something that, that God's going to be a part of. He's, he's separate from that. God is holy. He's righteous and pure. And again, he may allow you to be in a difficult circumstance, but he's never going to be the voice in your head trying to talk you into sin or helping you justify it. So we got to make a clean break between who God is and what temptation is. So if temptation doesn't come from God, where does it come from? And James tells us that the enemy is in me. Verse 14, it says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. It's real easy as Christians to blame the devil. And again, he's real. It's definitely implied in this passage. But we are tempted by our own. The enemy is in me our own evil desires. And we all have our favorite sin. And we all have the things that we seem to continually disobey God with. And it's, it's again, it's not just like the big ones, like, you know, you're tempted to, you know, do crack cocaine and rob a Valero, all right? You're, that's probably not, if you've ever been, if you probably don't get away with that more than once, right? But worry, that's a sin. It's the opposite of worship. To worry about something is the opposite of worshiping God for it. And the Bible tells us that we have a proclivity, a tendency to go back to certain sin over and over. But that's a little bit different for all of us. And the language that James uses is dragged away and enticed. And those are hunting and fishing terms. That's why I have some duck decoys on the stage today. Because I know how to use duck decoys to entice a duck to get just, I just need him to get within about 35 or 40 yards. That's all I need him to do. If he'll get inside 35 or 40 yards, we, we can handle it. And the thing is, the same decoys don't work on every duck. If you're hunting mallards, you use mallards. Wood ducks don't necessarily come into mallard decoys, so you got to have their own set of decoys. And teal are here at a different time of year, so we got different teal decoys for them. And, and there's a million ways you can rig all this stuff up. We get really creative, man. If there's no wind, we need a little bit of motion. We start tying these things to bungee cords and anchors and splashing stuff. We put batteries in them so they're shooting bubbles out their butt and spinning wings. We do everything we can to try to lure and entice these ducks just to get inside shotgun range. And I don't know what lures and entices you, but it's a little bit different for all of us, just like it's a little bit different for all these different kind of ducks. 
And maybe you look at somebody else, and the lure that gets them is not something that you understand. Maybe they have a chemical dependency that you've never struggled with. Maybe they have a sexual deviancy that to you looks gross, but to them they keep falling back into it. And you can't understand it, and you don't see the attraction because it's not enticing to you, but that doesn't mean it's not enticing to somebody else. But Satan's been watching all of us, and he knows what gets you. And whoever you are and whatever your thing is, I promise you, if you're not a mallard, God will create a custom-carved wood duck decoy that's just what you're looking for. He knows how to do that. But temptation is not a sin. It becomes sin when we pursue it with our thoughts, with our actions, and our lifestyle. The analogy that's been used for me that makes sense to me is that you can't stop a bird from like landing in your hair. We're in East Texas. There's mockingbirds everywhere. You make them mad, you get too close to them. You know, y'all seen them. They come down dark and they'll hit you in the head. You can't really stop them from trying to do that. And they might get you one or two times before you get back inside. Here's what you could stop a mockingbird from doing. Building a nest in your hair, right? You could at least prevent that from happening. You might not be able to stop them from going in and bouncing off the top of your head while they peck you. But... They wouldn't be able to build a nest in your head, and we got to view our thoughts as the same thing. We can't stop. There's always going to be some evil, weird things that bounces in and out of our brain. That's not sin. Don't beat yourself up about that. But it's when we stop and we begin to pursue that thing with our thoughts and wonder, oh, I wonder what that would be like. And then those thoughts lead to more thoughts and to actions, and, and that's kind of the line right there where sin's at. It doesn't get us all the time, but we all have a proclivity but towards something. Um. I'm 41 years old, and I have this big job and several other ones. I have a wife and three kids and a whole lot of responsibility. So I'm not really tempted, and this is just truth. Like, it doesn't sound fun to me to go to the bar, drink too much, and chase single women. Like, that's not what gets me. That lure once got me, but, yeah, now I know that it wouldn't be duck hunters waiting in the bushes with a shotgun. It'd be my wife, right? I got that. And her friends. And the thing is, like, at one time, that was enticing to me. But I've lived enough life now that, like, I see the decoy for what it is. I know even if I got what I was pursuing in that moment, it wouldn't lead to anything good in my life. So it's just not interesting to me anymore. That doesn't sound like something that I want to go after. But I definitely have a tendency to be selfish. And I'd rather take a nap when my wife wants my help. Satan knows how to get me. And I have a tendency, we'll get some more amens from this section, just wait. I have a tendency to get stressed and overloaded and act like a jerk, even though most of the time I'm the one that put too much on my own plate. Because we all have to learn what lures and entices us. We have to be on guard against decoys. So what do we do when we're being tempted? I would encourage you to look a little bit further down the road. James 15 he tells us where temptation leads. He says, after desire, after the giving in to that temptation has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. A lot of times temptation will catch us in the moment. It's a lot easier to kill ducks in bad weather. If you get some mallards, and it's the end of the season, and it's a cold January day with a two-mile-an-hour wind and the sunshine, and you're probably not going to kill any ducks. Because they have all the opportunity in the world just to spin around up there a couple hundred yards up and look for all the eyeballs looking out of the bushes and look for a stick underneath a decoy or something. They, they have enough time to realize these aren't real ducks. we got to move on. But if the wind's howling 
and the rain's coming down. They don't want to be up there in the air. That's not fun. They want to get down. They're in a rush to find a solution to their problem, and so they're just easier to trick, and the same is true in our life. If you're in a season of life that's turbulent, you're going to be more likely to give in to some of these temptations that there's a big storm going on in your life. And it's important in these times to think a little bit further down the road, to think about the consequences, see where this is leading us, because temptation looks good. It looks good. You're not going to be tempted to do something you don't want to do. The devil's not going to try to tempt you to, like, stab yourself in the leg with a pocket knife. Nobody thinks that's fun. Tempting, temptation is going to be tempting. It's going to be something that you want. And when these decoying ducks come in, I mean, just like that one right there. That one, like, it's over for him. There's no way out. Like, he's too far in. There's, like, he doesn't know it yet, but that duck's life is over. Like, but in his mind, he's thinking, man, I found the spot. All my friends are here. And if all my friends are here, they got to have food. And so this is obviously a great spot. All my friends are here. There's food here. This has to be the spot. But he's believing a lie. And the whole time he's looking at what's moving around on the water, and I'm blowing a duck call at him, telling him every lie that they want to hear, you know, all the stuff. And a lot of times we're being sold the same lie. And sin can represent itself in a strange, exciting, sexy way. And it looks in that moment exactly like what you need. But, but James reminds us to look a little bit further down the road that temptation looks good, but it leads to sin. And some of you may not care about sin. You're like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But James tells us that sin leads to death. To death. James is trying to break the spell, the alluring enticement of temptation. Because he needs you to look a little bit further down the road. That duck right there in that moment is not thinking about the roasting pan. But that's where he's going, right? And a lot of times in our lives, we don't take the time to look a little bit further down the road to where these actions are actually going to end us up. And when pastors, guys that have my job, when they have some major moral failure, I promise you when they commit that sin, they're not thinking about standing in front of their congregation and explaining themselves. If they were, they wouldn't have done it, right? Nobody's thinking about explaining infidelity to their children when they partake in it, right? If you had that conversation on your mind, that would not have looked nearly as enticing. When politicians have to go on stage because they did something horrible and finally somebody reported on it, if they had had to think about that national press conference where they answered all these hard questions, if they had been thinking about that in the moment, they wouldn't have done whatever they did to rip the American people off. Or maybe they would have. I don't know. I'm giving politicians too much credit. <laughs> we got to th think through this temptation thing. Temptation never leads to a long-term solution. It leads to death. So we need to look down the road and see where temptation leads. But also, we can't just look at the bad things. we got to focus on the right things. Verse 16, James tells us, don't be deceived. Don't give in to temptation, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You know the easiest way for ducks to stay alive on their little North American journey every year? by finding other real birds. Because, like, these decoys look good, right? They got the color schemes right. They got the feather detail. They, these decoys, they make them look this good really to sell them. I don't think ducks care as much as hunters do. They're just trying to sell new decoys. You know? So they look really, really good. They look really, really good. And the same is true in our life. We see things that look real, but they're not. They're just not real. 
And did you know it's illegal to use live real decoys for duck hunting? You know why it's illegal? Because it would work so good. If you tied three live mallard hens to a cinder block out there in front of your blind, like they would be coming. Like it wouldn't even be fair because it's the real thing. Satan doesn't have the real thing to offer. He doesn't have the real thing to offer. He just has decoys. He just has temptation. He doesn't have the real thing. And so we got to start looking for the real thing. It's a big deal. We see this all the way back in Genesis 3. Satan didn't look at Eve and say, hey, this fruit looks really good, huh? It's tasty and juicy. No, he said, hey, did God really limit you on what you could do? He starts questioning God's motives. And then Eve ate the fruit and the whole problem started. And our problem with temptation is that we don't think or we forget that God is a good God and that he offers the real thing. And we see things in the Bible that it calls sin, and that can be anything, and he tells us to avoid it or to wait for it. And it's our human tendency to think, man, God's just a holy buzzkill, right? He's just trying to hold out on me. I don't want to wait. So we end up doing things our way instead of God's way. And James wants to remind us that he is our father, and he's not holding out on you. We see this in our kids all the time, right? When, when they want something that's not good for them and we don't give it to them and they get upset about it, our kids do it. We did it when we were kids, and we do it with God all the time. So if you get to a point where you're looking at something that God says no to, to fill a void in your life, you're wrong. God's not. You are being lured in and enticed, not realizing that it leads to death. Because if it was really good, if it was really good, it would come from God. And we spend a lot of time chasing the wrong things when God has something a lot better. C.S. Lewis equates this for settling to making mud pies in the slum instead of going to the beach. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We as humans are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We settle for less than God's best. And James tells us that every good and perfect gift is from God. Temptation's not from God. Sin's not from God. So we don't need to waste our life on things that God doesn't want for us. We don't want to also focus on the things we're missing out. We want to focus on what God has given us, the real thing. It's not a decoy. It's the real thing. And he wants to have a relationship with us. I saw this pretty perfectly illustrated on Friday night because Parker Black, who's my cousin, so that makes us Kid Harris, also my cousin. I don't know the whole numbering system on cousins. He's second, third, something. But Harris, you see him most Sundays out in the lobby. He's about this tall, and he has the ball-handling skills of most, like, pretty good 12U basketball players. Like, he can dribble, he can shoot, he's got hook shots, behind-the-back stuff. Pretty impressive for a little bitty dude. And he loves any kind of ball, soccer ball, volleyball, basketball, whatever. If it's a ball, Harris wants to play with it. And Friday, I was getting set up for Ethan's going-away party. He was leaving for the Navy, and there were some guys coming out, and I knew Harris was coming. And as I was getting ready, I set up a volleyball net and cornhole and a bunch of stuff for the kids to play with. And the whole time I was kind of throwing all these footballs and volleyballs and dodgeballs and stuff out in the yard, I was thinking, man, Harris is going to have a heyday today. Man, he's got all the balls in the world to choose from, right? There's like 20 of them sitting out there. There's a whole basket full of balls. He's going to have all he wants. You know what? I never saw Harris all night play with any of those balls. You know why? Because Harris came with his dad. 
and his dad gave him his very own ball. Harris showed up with this little white and orange soccer ball, and it was just a little mini kid-sized soccer ball, and Harris was obsessed with that little white and orange soccer ball. And he looked at all the other balls in, the, in my kid's dodgeball that they left out in the sun and stepped on, so it has like a bulge coming out the side, and the, the football with the laces coming out because they've thrown it into the concrete too many times. He looked at all those, and he was like, no, I don't want, I'm not, no, I'm not playing with any of those. My dad gave me my ball. It's for me. It's my favorite color. It's the exact right size for my little hands to hold and dribble and throw to my dad. So I'm not interested in any of these other temptations and distractions. I've got what my dad gave me, and it's the best ball here. So you can keep the rest of them. Man, I wish I could look at temptation like that. We all have to come to the realization that God loves us. He wants what's best for us. And the things that he has given us are specifically for us, not necessarily anybody else. They're for us. And if we see what he's given us, it's so much better than any other temptation and struggle and decoy that's trying to lure and entice us into something that's just going to lead to our death. We need to have that kind of joy, that kind of contentment in the things that God has given us. And even more than that, we need to realize that God, it's, it's not the things God has given us that it's great. It's that God has given us himself, that we get to have a relationship with him. So James talks about temptation. It's inevitable. We can't blame God for it. He doesn't send it. That the enemy is actually in you and that Satan can use a custom, tailor-made decoy to try to lure and entice you in. But we got to look a little bit further down the road. That stuff leads to death. And we need to focus on the right things that God has given us that are perfect and good because he's a good father. We got to fight it. We got to know ourselves. We have to be disciplined. We have to know the things that get us and step out of the way when we see them coming. We need to run from temptation, but not just that. We need to run to a good God. But some of y'all this morning might be thinking, you know what? I am too far in. I'm just like that duck you showed earlier hovering over those decoys that was fixing to catch some steel number twos and didn't even know it, right? <laughs> temptation has led to sin, and, and sin has led to death in my life. And there's some of y'all in this room that might feel dead, but there's good news there too, and that good news is Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus is not that he wants to turn bad men into good men. He wants to take dead men and make them alive men. He doesn't want to move us from good to bad. He wants to move us from dead to alive. And he did that by taking death upon himself on the cross. And then he rose three days later to beat it. And our salvation is found through him. But God wants a relationship with you, with the Father, a good Father who gives good and perfect gifts not these decoys that Satan tries to throw out to tempt us into something that's only going to lead to our own death. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this passage in James. It's just so clear. I mean, just five verses. He just, it just spells out the progression. It shows the lie for what it is, that if it's good, it's from you. And if it's not from you, it's going to lead us somewhere that we don't want to be, eventually our own death, Lord. And we thank you that you defeated that, that you sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty for death, that he died and rose three days later, and that through him we get to have a relationship with you. And we need to be content in that. We need to find joy in our relationship with you and the things that you have given us because everything else pales in comparison to that, and we thank you for it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.